Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 47. I hope your heart has already been encouraged by the truths that we have been uh, preaching to one another in song. Psalm 47, we're continuing our series in Psalms by uh, the next Psalm, which uh, is 47. And this Psalm picks up where Psalm 46 left off. So if you're a guest with us, we welcome you. We're glad that you are here with us. Uh, What we're doing this summer as a church family is going through the Psalms, a portion of the Psalms, of course not all of them. We're taking one Psalm each week uh, during the summer and giving our attention to uh, really learn from uh, the truth that God has for us in these Psalms. And so this morning we find ourselves into Psalm 47. This Psalm uh, picks up where Psalm 46 left off. In Psalm 46, go ahead and glance back there in your scriptures, where the nations are told to stand in awe of God And Psalm 46 speaks with these confident and triumphant tones. Psalm 46 ends with this guarantee. If you look at the last uh, verse 10 of Psalm 46, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, So we have these guarantees that God is going to be exalted. How then should God's people respond to statements like that? When God claims to be exalted, when we are told that God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, how should God's people respond to these types of statements? Well, that's what Psalm 47 in part shows us. It gives us a snapshot, a glimpse into the response of God's people to the truths that are written for us in Psalm 46. This psalm is commonly organized into two stanzas. If you glance down at it, you'll notice that there is the word Selah at the um, transitioning there between Um, verses 4 and 5. And so that's ordinarily where the stanzas are kind of organized. And the word Selah is thought to be a word to invite kind of mindful, um, contemplative reflection, giving some um, meditation on those truths that were just said. But having said that, for our purposes this morning, I'm not sure it's going to be real helpful to break it just into two, into two parts. I think it will probably be more helpful for us to really focus in on the themes that are found in Psalm 47, particularly the theme of God's exalted kingship that is described in the psalm. So to help orient us to this, I'm going to take us kind of just a snapshot so we can orient ourselves in the psalm. Then we'll start to unpack the truths that we find here and we'll finish up by asking some questions, how then, what does this matter to us today? As Christians living in our context here uh, today, what does this matter? How can we uh, live in light of this truth? Um, Psalm 47, verse 1, um, really both stanzas, uh, the first and second stanza, both begin with a command to praise uh, God. In verse 1, it says, Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Now look down in verse 6, which is in stanza 2. We're told to sing praises to God. Sing praises, sing praises to our King Sing praises. Both stanzas in this psalm refer to God's kingship over all the earth. In verse 2, it says, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. And then in verse 7, down in stanza 2, it says, For God is the king of all the earth. Both stanzas describe the nations of the world submitting under God. In verse 3, we're told, He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. And then in verse 8, Stanza 2, it says, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. And then finally, each of these stanzas in the psalm conclude with a reference to God's exaltation or to his ascension as king. In verse 5, it says, God has gone up with a shout. And then down in verse 9, in stanza 2, it says, He is highly exalted. 
So for the sermon today, I don't have an outline per se. Instead, what I'm, what I'm going to do is put, the, put Psalm 47 kind of in a statement, and then unpack that statement, and then we'll finish up by looking at some of the conclusions and applications from this. So what is Psalm 47 about? The main idea of Psalm 47 is simply this. Rejoice. God reigns as king over all the earth. Rejoice. God reigns as king over all the earth. This psalm begins with commands for God's people to clap their hands and shout with loud songs of joy. And then he gives us the reason for that command in verse 1. You find it there, it says, For or because the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Now the words used here to identify God are important. The name Lord with capital L-O-R-D, all those caps, if you've noticed there in your Bible, it's capitalized there. That is the word that is used to describe the, the, the personal name or, or to denote the personal name of God. The, the name God is generally Elohim, was kind of a title, more of a title rather than a name. I know we talk about God as if it's his name, but that's more of a title, Elohim. There were other pagan nations that had an Elohim as well. But here, the term used is capital L-O-R-D, which was a different, a different Hebrew word, which is the word Yahweh. In fact, the translators were so careful about translating this, they didn't want to take God's name in vain, and so they removed the, they, removed the, they just put the, the letters Y-H-W-H there in the translation. I'm using English, in English letters there for us. This word, this name that defines God is a name that he used to define himself personally. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to give us a little context on this so that we kind of grasp some of what the psalmist is pulling out here for, uh, for God's people. In Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses. Many of you are familiar with the story, right? The, the, the story of the bush that kept on burning, wouldn't burn out. Moses is curious, goes over to investigate, and he discovers that God's presence is there and God speaks to Moses and calls Moses uh, that he is going to be the one that God is going to use to call Israel out of Egyptian slavery and into the promised land. He's going to redeem Israel. Moses knows that when he is, if he's going to do this, that he's going to be asked, well, I'm, this isn't what Moses said, but kind of in our, in our slang, who, who made you king, Moses, to, to, to make this happen? And so God knows that. Moses is going to ask that. So God gives Moses a specific way that he is supposed to answer those kinds of questions. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, it says this, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Which, by the way, is basically God saying, I exist. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent, has sent you. Again, this sense of we are human beings. We are beings that, that are created, that come into existence. And God is declaring here with those I am statements, I am self-existent. I am not a being that comes into existence. I am being itself. So you can imagine Moses trying to, well, how? Okay, I'm going to say that to these people. How? But then God goes on. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
And so I'm giving us the background of that context for God's personal name because in Psalm 47, the reason we are told to clap our hands and to shout for joy is because Yahweh is the Most High, a great king over all the earth. The Lord Most High, this Jehovah Elyon, this, this statement, putting those names together, is he is to be feared because he is king over all the earth. As you start reading through the Old Testament, you've got uh, pagan nations that are coming against Israel saying, you think you've got a big God? Well, look at what our God did. And in Israel's going through and eradicating these pagan nations, and God is saying, so that they will know that I am the Lord, Jehovah, your God. So this title, Most High, is elevating Yahweh over and above all other claims that other nations might have for a deity. God stands over them all. So in other words, Psalm 47 is inviting God's people to sing because God, Jehovah, is not a tribal king. He is not a continental king or a regional king. Yahweh that we read about in Psalm 47 is king over all the earth. He is the Most High. In verses 3 and 4, Psalm, the psalmist gives some of the great acts of the Most High God. This is really just kind of a, a quick snapshot of a, a large portion of redemptive history recorded for us in the scriptures. It says, He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God established his people as a nation by overthrowing the other pagan nations. He calls them to himself. And God did this. He chose Israel to be his people. And we learn that God's choice of Israel to be his people was born of love. That's what he's talking about here. He subdued people, verse 4. He chose us. Why? He chose us because of this love. So in other words, ancient Israel did not impress God or woo God or, or, or do something so that God was kind of like peering over the, the portals of heaven and saying, wow, that's a really, these people are getting it done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a fan of them. And then God gets involved. That is not the way the scriptures describe it. In fact, in fact, God says it, it's the exact opposite. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, here's what God tells, tells the Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Holy meaning called out, separate, claimed by him, unique. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And this is what the psalmist is reminding God the Most High, this king over all the earth, is their king. He is the one that chose them, called them to himself, made them his people entirely because of his loving choice. So what then is the response of God's people to the reality that God reigns as the Most High King over all the earth and he has called them to be his people? Well, look at verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. When we hear the phrase, clap your hands, maybe you're thinking of like a crowd, you know, kind of shows their appreciation and praise. There's all sorts of different claps, right? There's kind of some humor in this. There's like the golf clap. You, you, you know, right? You just, there's a little thing that's kind of, oh, they did a good job on that, right? Then there's different kinds of claps. There's the, there's the stadium clap, okay? Or there's the, the concert clap. You know, the, the, the orchestra does their presentation. People clap. All oh, that was beautiful, sophisticated people appreciating the fine artistry of those performers. 
Friends, I think there's something better going on here. And, and this is a bit of a risky illustration because I don't want our minds to turn too far this way. But just think of a parent or caregiver clapping for a child who does something. Okay, hang with me here. Um, think about a little kid. They, when they're, right, they do anything. And everybody's like, yay, they clap. They say, they, they make a continent of, oh, you clap. They pull themselves up. They fall down. They pull themselves up. They crawl. They sit there without that slow kind of drop over. And, wow, oh, they roll over. The simplest things, right? And we all, we cheer and we clap and we're, yay. There's this excitement because of what? Of what, the, what they've done. Now, now, here's where I said it's risky. God is not a baby we're cheering on, okay? But there is a sense where the psalm is describing that God's people are so enthralled with God's accomplishments, what he's done, this most high God over all the earth, what he has done, that God's people are just eager to join in and praise and adore this magnificent God who has acted for them. That, I think, is, the, is, is kind of the essence. Maybe a better illustration is what, maybe it's overused, but what happens in a stadium when a sports team you know, scores a goal, when they, when they beat their opponent and, the, and all the fans in the stadium band together and clap and praise and college games, right? They sing a song, a college fight song. I think Psalm 47 is inviting God's people into that. Not because God is a little kid who did something and great, but because God is great. Jehovah, the most high king over all the earth. Psalm 47, we learn that God's people celebrate the reign and kingship of God. Do you? Do you? You say, well, wait, isn't this talking about Israel? How can Christians living in America claim Psalm 47 to praise God when he's talking here to Israel about what God has done for Israel? Well, here's what makes this so wonderful. Look at verse 1. He says, clap your hands, all peoples. There is a forward gaze in this psalm outside of just ethnic Israel. We'll get to that as we get to the end of the sermon here, the end of the psalm. But notice those words. What God did for Israel through Israel wasn't ultimately for Israel alone. The psalm has in mind the end of days when people from all nations and tribes and tongues gather together as the people of God, as the people of the God of Abraham, verse 9 of the psalm, and all peoples who are gathered together to worship this God who is highly exalted. In fact, Paul wrote about it this way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And this really is the central message then of Christianity, the gospel. It's Psalm 47 is telling God's people to rejoice and clap and shout because of the saving acts of God that he's done for us. And we know in our place in redemptive history as we look back through the scriptures that really what Israel was celebrating being delivered out of Egypt was just a hint of what the greater deliverance that God would do through Jesus of not rescuing us from physical slavery but eternal spiritual bondage of slavery to sin. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, came to earth to remove all the obstacles and reasons that keep us from knowing and enjoying God forever. That's the central message of Christianity. Jesus died. He gave his perfect life, his righteousness, as a gift to all who would turn from their efforts of self-salvation and embrace Christ and the salvation that he offers. And if you do not know God through faith in Jesus, then you can't clap your hands about God being king over all the earth. You can't. Because you are going to stand under his judgment for the condemnation you deserve for the guilt of your sin that you carry. But if you would embrace Christ by faith, 
and, sub- and submit to His kingship, His lordship of your life and embrace Him through faith, then you could enjoy the forgiveness of sin. Then you would be someone in Psalm 47 who would say, I'm going to clap my hands, shout for joy because of the salvation that God has done. In verse 5, the phrase, God has gone up with a shout. Those are words describing a king ascending his throne after he conquers a foe. The shout, the sound of a trumpet that's described here is, but there's different places in the scriptures where this has happened. The inauguration of the temple under Solomon's reign. One instance that kind of stands out is when the ark was being brought back into Israel, into the temple. David and all the house of Israel, when this happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6, they're bringing the ark of the covenant of the Lord and they're doing it with shouting and with the sound of the horn. There's this celebration. Think of it kind of like a parade because the presence of God that was symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant, was being brought back. Imagine a parade of celebration. Again, not to overuse a sports analogy, but you've got a team that wins a, 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 wins a championship, and then there's, sometimes there's a parade for all the fans to, to gather together to celebrate the, the conquest of their team. This is kind of the word pictures that are described in Psalm 47 of God's people enjoining together in celebrating the conquest of their king. Now, verses 6 through 8, this theme of celebration, of joy, of praise is being repeated, and it, it's repeated so often here, it's, um, it's almost comical. Verse 6, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. There's the reason. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The phrase, sing praises, is repeated five times in just that little span of verses. And I believe the intended effect there is not like we've missed it, we need to read it again just to make sure we understand it. That word, those words, sing praises, are one word in the Hebrew, and it almost has, some scholars think that it might have had the effect of like a group of people chanting a praise together of God's people joining together in this kind of chanting celebration of joyful exaltation in what God has done. Try to imagine that. Psalm 47 invites us to join in that chant, to enjoy the praise of God's people together about the conquest that God has accomplished because he is king that reigns over all the earth. That's the main idea of Psalm 47. Praise God. He's king over all the earth. And you say, okay, this really is kind of a, a, a simple, ordinary, relatively, you know, we're used to this, Sean. I mean, it's not like, I mean, what do we just do? We just sang, sang together this morning, right? So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I'm going to use the rest of the time to kind of tease out some biblical theology about God's people and praise and why this matters more than just intellectually get this. God is king over all the earth. Be happy. Okay, that's, there's more to it going on here, okay? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, here's, here's where we can start. By the way, there's going to be lots of things that could be said about this. This isn't exhaustive at all. These are just some, I think, suggestions to help our hearts enjoy and embrace these truths. What God's people are given in Psalm 47, then, is we are given an endless source and rock-solid foundation for joy. God's people in Psalm 47 are given an endless source and rock-solid foundation for joy. Our world, and we're part of this, right, are pursuing or chasing happiness. I know we could get into debates about definitions of joy and happiness and all that, okay? 
But here's what we have, Christian friends. We have something the world is looking for and can't find. We have something that sometimes we are looking for and we forget that we have, but we're looking around it. We have an endless source and rock-solid foundation for joy. And I'm going to try to show this to us by using Psalm 46 and Psalm 47 together. So look at the first three verses of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now think about that. Those word pictures about earthquakes, shaking mountains. These are kind of like catastrophic, life-altering things that happen. Here's what Psalm 46 is saying. God is our refuge. He is always able to be found in times of trouble. So now, how do we respond to this? Psalm 47, verses 6 through 8. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises, for God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. As Christians, we know in our heads that God is king over all, but often in our practice, in our day-to-day life, we can function with a different belief. It's embarrassingly easy for us to doubt, to sinfully doubt, I should say, that God is truly king over all the earth. Sometimes we are trying to be king, not over all the earth maybe, but maybe over all of our life and the lives of those that are immediately around us. We try to be king, and we can't. Now, let's just be honest, right? As we look at what's happening in the world around us, maybe in our own lives, we could find reasons, strong reasons from our viewpoint that might tempt us to doubt that God actually reigns as king over all the earth. I mean, glance back through world history. Think about, just do a search about the atrocities that are happening against humankind in present day, right? Corrupt governments, unjust laws, miscarries of justice. The results are deeply troubling and grieving. Here's one example. How do we reconcile the apparent and ongoing genocide of ethnic and religious minorities in China with this phrase from Psalm 47? Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is king of all the earth. We feel this tension. We don't want to just be fake, you know, exterior happy Christians that aren't living our Christianity in winsome ways in the real world. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, the answers to these tensions are only found once we submit and confess how little we know and how limited our lifespan is. For instance, here's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to borrow this from, from Peter, Second Peter. What if you were a being for whom one day was like a thousand years or, one, or a thousand years was like one day? And you're like, well, which one is it? That's the point. For, for God, time, he's created it. He is self-existent. There wasn't a time where he was not existing. And I know all our brains are short-circuiting now. But think of this. Christians have struggled with this tension through the ages about, listen, God has promised this. We know he's that. But then what about all of this? How, what are we supposed to do with that? God has given us Christians truth to help us combat what some think to be God's lazy disinterest in fulfilling his promise. But in Second Peter, Peter's second epistle, the second letter in chapter 3, he says this, Do not overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Friends, I don't have all the answers to these enigmas. I'm not presenting, pretending to. What I'm simply trying to draw out is that the truths of Psalm 47 exist, and they are true and right, and they can be fully dependent upon, even though we live in a world where there's all sorts of atrocities that make us kind of scratch our head and go, what? Friends, this is where we worship. Is Yahweh really king over all the earth? Is he truly the most high? Could he have reasons that are beyond our understanding? Now, you say, well, that sounds good in theory, but I want to see a Christian actually live this out. Well, there is an example of that. There's many examples of that. (laughs) Here's one. Imagine reading Psalm 47 as an Israelite after your homeland had been pillaged the temple was destroyed and many of your counterparts had either been killed or had been kidnapped to a foreign land. Could you really believe that God reigned as king over all the earth? Really? I mean, if one of your surviving counterparts were to say, hey, let's read Psalm 47. This is going to help us. Clap your hands. And you're like, really? Could you really believe that God is king over all the earth through the midst of those types of catastrophic Psalm 46, right? Um, though, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters foam and though its mountains tremble at its swelling. That's, that's what it was like when Israel, when all that happened, when Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came in and destroyed. Could you believe God that way? Well, the Old Testament prophet Daniel did. Now, you're like, wow, good for Daniel. Friends, this isn't about Daniel, a character lesson. This is, that's the kind of God we have. Daniel could trust him, so can you. That's what the scriptures are inviting you into. Daniel just modeled that in this one way, not to make you think, well, I wish I could be more like Daniel. No, get to know more of God like that, and it will inspire that in you too by God's strength and grace. So King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's the one who led Babylon to destroy Jerusalem, demolish the temple, and kidnap a large portion of the Israelite population, Daniel being one of them. Nebuchadnezzar accomplished a lot for Babylon during his reign. He felt very self-satisfied with himself. This man was full of himself and his conquests and his accomplishments, his ruthlessness. And God disagreed with Nebuchadnezzar's perspective of what Nebuchadnezzar had done. And it is Jehovah, the Lord, who reigns over all the earth, not Nebuchadnezzar. And there was a time when Nebuchadnezzar thought he reigned over all the earth. I mean, after all, he he overthrew the Elohim of Yahweh from Israel. And so what God did is he humbled Nebuchadnezzar by striking him with a form of insanity so that he wandered the fields and forests like a wild animal. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 4. What did Nebuchadnezzar say when his senses returned to him? It's recorded for us in Daniel 4, beginning in verse 34. It says this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. That's, by the way, the same phrase that's used in 40, Psalm 47, the Most High, Jehovah Elion. And I praise and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? This is the one who conquered Israel. And now he's been brought low and has been been shown visions that he actually is nothing 
God is the Most High, not him. Well, if you keep reading in Daniel 5, you're like, well, okay, that was Nebuchadnezzar coming to that conclusion. What about Daniel? Are you telling us about Daniel? Well, if you keep reading in Daniel chapter 5, Nebuchadnezzar's heir, Belshazzar, throws a lavish party, and what he does in that party is he actually uses the holy instruments from the temple and desecrates them through this pagan, um, this, this pagan uh, feast. Kind of one-upping, right, over in, in, on this, this lavish exuberance over and above this, this supposed God of Israel. Well, God visits Belshazzar in that party, and he does it by writing words of warning on a wall. Remember the story, some of you? Belshazzar asks Daniel to interpret what was written. And and so Daniel comes, and and it's recorded in Daniel chapter 5. He says, O king, the most high... I'm sorry, I need to make sure I keep that clear so you don't know which king I'm talking about here, Belshazzar or God. God. Let me try that again. O king, he's talking to Belshazzar. The most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Period. Pause right there. This is an Israelite confessing that the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar his successes, which was the overthrow of Israel. God is the Most High. I just want us to pause there and understand, no matter what is happening in your life that makes you think that God is not in control, remember the truths of Psalm 46 and Psalm 47. Psalm 46, God is a refuge. He will be found in times of trouble. Psalm 47, rejoice. He is king over all the earth. Daniel keeps going. But when his heart, when Nebuchadnezzar's heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. By whom? By the God who gave it to him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was the wild ox with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that Jehovah Elion, that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Notice the phrase, Most High, that Daniel uses there to describe God. Same phrase that the psalmist uses in Psalm 47 to describe king over all the earth. How could Daniel, surrounded by such abject destruction and disillusionment of his homeland, still speak with prophetic clarity about God's supreme rule and reign over the earth? And the answer is because despite what happens here and now on earth, God reigns over all things with purposes and plans we couldn't possibly understand with our limited knowledge and lifespan. By the way, you're try- we're trying to get our heads around God ruling earth, but the other scriptures have talked about how God rules over the hosts of the heavens. There's more. <laughs> Somehow, and I don't understand how, God's plan and the atrocious acts of evil nations can coexist so that God accomplishes his purposes and plans with unwavering certainty. So then, Psalm 47 reminds us of what we read in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against Jehovah, and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Christians, do you get wound up and worried and anxious about 
political, geopolitical things that are happening. And I'm not saying that you should kind of, you know, be ignorant and, and be stupid about what's happening around in the world. You should be informed, yes, but also understand this. You should respond. We must respond to those things with this kind of Christian thinking. We can worry about it. We, are not, we don't know the outcome, but God is looking at it and laughing in derision at what the nations are plotting against him. They can't. Psalm 47 gives Christians a bottomless well of joy that cannot be exhausted. Here's the question. Will we drink from this well? Will we drink from this well? I wonder what we as a church family would sound like when we sing together if we embraced and treasured this truth in our hearts even more. Which, by the way, Christian family, you're doing well singing together. Keep doing that. But let this encourage you to sing. So, for instance... Moms and dads, let me encourage you to forget yourselves a little bit and sing with your hearts to the Lord as you gather together with God's people. Let your kids, let our kids see one another. Sing to God with, with hearts that are, sing praises to God. He reigns over all the earth. As your kids see you wrestle with the disappointments and the heartbreaks of living faith in a sin-cursed world, and yet you have a resilient joy in God because there are truths that stand over your calamities. That there is a God who can undo that brokenness in ways that you can't comprehend because he is a God with whom a thousand years is a day or a day is a thousand years. How are you going to hurry up with somebody like that? Maybe your heart is broken over some disappointment or grief or loss in this sin-cursed world. Psalm 47 is not diminishing that loss or that grief or that pain or that sorrow or the injustice that your heart carries. God, Psalm 47 is not diminishing that. Psalm 47 is elevating your estimation and appreciation and awe and wonderment of God who reigns as king over all the earth. We must embrace the reality of Psalm 47 that God reigns over, here, he's like, over all the earth. Well, here's some more specific areas. God reigns as king over your coworkers, your boss, your industry, your business competitor, your diagnosis, your family, your extended family, etc., etc., etc. He reigns. This reality is an unshakable foundation for Christian joy. So in other words, Christians then are people who can grieve deeply over losses and disappointments in this life while simultaneously have an endless source of joy because God reigns over all the earth. All the earth. Another facet of joy that's found in this psalm and we, shouldn't, we cannot overlook it, right, is this, that there is a glory experienced by those who enjoy God's reign. Friends, here's, here's, right, God reigns over all the earth. You're like, great, but remember this. As Christians, that means this. He reigns over you. You're a citizen in his kingdom. Imagine being part of a kingdom whose ruler is all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-fill-in-the-blank, all holy, all good, all kind, all merciful, all compassionate, all steadfast in love and faithfulness. Imagine that. Imagine living in a kingdom whose king is all of that, who also gave his life to redeem you out of the slavery of sin. We have a hero that didn't just come from, a, from an alien you know, world in that sense. We have a king who came from heaven to earth to redeem us. So then, that is the joy we enjoy in part right now, but we all long for the day when all things will be made right. But friends, we have a king who has promised to do that too. So that unfulfilled longing 
that injustice that hasn't been made right. You trust a king who is king over all the earth. And even if time passes and those that have done wrong to you die and justice can't be meted out in this life, take heart. You have a king who rules over all the earth and over all time. And his justice is not hindered. He will make all things right. Maybe now we can better understand why Psalm 47 tells God's people to sing praises. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward and as they get ready, I'm going to just wrap up with looking at this final verse of Psalm 47, verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The conclusion of this psalm gives us a glorious vision of the future. A deep joy called for in this psalm makes more sense when we recognize that this psalm is celebrating God's rule over all the earth because one day all the earth is going to celebrate his rule. This is the truth that Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2 and he says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the, word, it's the picture in Revelation chapter 7 when it says that there are people from, from every nation and from every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands crying out with a loud voice, And by the way, I think what's happening here next when they cry out with a loud voice is they are singing praises to God. What are they singing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Friends, we look forward to a day when it's not just Christians singing, singing a psalm of praise to God, clapping hands, shouting for joy. We do it with an angelic host as well. Sing praises. God reigns as king over all the earth. Let's pray.